in the uh, previous sessions, especially from uh, Mr. Bao, but I will try and limit the uh, duplication. One of the questions that was answered is, uh, is there a need for a, a new Bretton Woods or a real Bretton Woods? I certainly feel that we are dealing with the unfinished business of Bretton Woods and at the risk of another plug for the book. This is one of the themes of this uh, compilation which I edited and, and part wrote. Uh, I think the accumulation of imbalances in the international monetary system uh, must inherently make that system more unstable than it otherwise would be, would have been. And I, I think it comes back, and, and this was something that um, uh, was touched upon this morning, how in an ideal world it would have been better if Keynes had won the Battle of Bretton Woods and had defeated Harry Dexter White and we had had an international clearing system or at least where the surplus countries are or were under more of an obligation to help correct those international imbalances than they are at, at the moment. And this boils down in a way to a variation of, or an, an, an aspect of, the, of the, the Triffin dilemma. Now when Bretton Woods broke up in the early 1970s, there were $95 billion in international reserves. At the end of 2013, when the next quarterly IMF figures come out in a month's time, they will show that reserves were $12.2 trillion. It's been an enormous increase. And what I want to argue is that it would be better for the world if there were more issuers of safe assets. We can all agree that there's overwhelming demand for safe assets, either because countries are mercantilist, they're indulging in financial repression, or there is a genuine need for self-insurance, which of course was accentuated after the Asian crisis. Whatever the reason, I think it would be better for global stability if the responsibility that comes with the issuance of safe assets was shared more broadly. However, what I'm going to argue in the next 10 minutes, with the help of a couple of questions and one glance back at history, is that the dollar is likely to remain the undisputed leading international currency. And agreeing with um, Mr. Bao earlier that any steps that China makes to turning the RMB into an investment currency are likely to be cautious, gradual, and it will take a long time, probably not in my lifetime, before the RMB becomes anything other than a junior reserve currency. Uh, I'm going to skip over some of this pretty, pretty quickly because it will go over ground that we've, uh, we've had before. We all know the problems facing the United States, the, the political gridlock, the lack of a clear roadmap to financing the entitlement spending crisis which is looming, two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan which I will generously label as uh, misadventures. Despite all that, the dollar is unrivaled. 62% of identified foreign exchange reserves are in dollars and maybe if uh, Professor Yu is in a good mood, he'll tell us later how much China has in, uh, in, in, in dollars. But my guess is that it's um, not far from not far from that. But, um, 
Yeah, 3.88 trillion in total, but what percentage in, uh, in, in dollars? Oh, he doesn't know. Phew, I thought I was the only one who, who, didn't, who didn't know. Uh, so, and, and despite the heroic efforts of Bitcoin and other virtual currencies, then of course the dollar still has un, 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 is unrivaled as a unit of account and a medium of, of, of exchange. There's a great deal of inertia built into the international monetary system. You have to think only of the oil market and other, other, other commodities, which are denominated in dollars, settled in dollars, and the underlying derivative markets, especially for oil, are exclusively in dollars. It would be a huge, expensive, inconvenient shift away from the US dollar. Uh, let me mention another aspect which I think is neglected in considering the incumbency factor. And that is the United States' geopolitical and military alliances. Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, others in, in, in Asia, Saudi Arabia, the other members of the Gulf Cooperation com uh, countries, all shelter under the U.S. umbrella. It seems quite natural for me that there should explicitly or implicitly, as a quid, quo, quid pro quo, be an agreement to hold the bulk of their reserves in, in dollars. I think that is a major factor in favour of the US currency retaining its dominant position. And of course, as we know, the United States has unparalleled deep liquid financial markets underpinned by transparency, accountability and the rule of law. And China, and I speak as a friend of China, does not have any of these things. I I'm pleasantly surprised by the progress that has been made since the third plenum in November on the financial reform front. The PBOC has widened the trading band of the RMB. I saw that Daimler issued the first onshore uh, corporate bond uh, the, the other day. And China is even, even allowing some default risk to creep into the domestic market. But um, I'd like to take issue, I suppose, with something that um, um, Bao Mingyu said in, in the previous session. Namely, China has no roadmap. It all depends a little bit on how investor demand for the RMB develops. Well, I would put it the other way around. I think this is very much a chicken and egg. And if China were to liberalize its markets, open them up fully to foreign participation, then yes, there would be more volatility, but of course uh, there would be vastly more demand for, for Chinese assets. Without that happening, then it seems to me that the, re the reflow channels that he elaborated are not going to be big enough to permit the RMB to grow as a medium of exchange outside China to the extent that would be necessary for it to develop into an investment currency, let alone a widely, a widely used investment currency, let alone a reserve currency, simply because reserve holders, sovereign wealth funds, central banks, will not have the untrammeled access to the deep liquid markets that they, that they need. 
So although I don't doubt the direction of travel in which the Chinese Communist Party is, is headed, uh, I, I ask myself, I keep asking myself whether it's truly thought through the implications of, of, um, of the path on which it's embarked. And, and I admit it's a very impertinent question, Professor Yu, when I'm, I'm sitting next to one of the architects of this, this policy, so forgive me my uh, Im- impertinence. But it comes down to this, in, 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 in my view. Uh, I do not see how the Chinese Communist Party can keep a tight grip on the price of money be it expressed as the domestic interest rate or the external exchange rate, how it can surrender control of its capital account and stay in political power. Let me elaborate. The, the Communist Party, by dint of financial repression, mobilises savings and allocates them to its favoured uh, sums. It's, uh, it uses the, the RMB, uses the people's savings as a tool of political patronage. And this control of the levers of economic. Of, too much. Too much well, I'm, I'm, I hope it's too much. I'd like to have a, a discussion on this. Um, I can see China liberalising, but I'm simply not imaginative enough to know how they can take their hands off the levers of of, of power and permit more market forces in the economy and and yet preserve their their monopoly on on power. In passing, let me just uh, note that neither West Germany nor, nor Japan uh, was was willing to sacrifice full control, full control over its uh, domestic monetary policy, and maintain quite strict uh, controls on uh, convertibility of its uh, exchange rate. So, if China were to maintain restrictions, and I presume that would and will be the case as it liberalises uh, both uh, the banking system and the capital account then it would be treading a well-worn path. So I'm not saying it can't be done, and I very much hope it will be done, but for the moment I can't quite see how it will be done. Um, I think it's also useful at this point to bear in mind that the exorbitant privilege of issuing a reserve currency, the exorbitant privilege that the French have been complaining about for 50-odd years, is also an exorbitant responsibility an exorbitant, and an exorbitant burden. And I'd be very interested to know from uh, Professor Yu whether, whether Beijing uh, is, is, is fully prepared to shoulder some of these uh, responsibilities. Uh, most, most economists would say that in issuing the dominant global currency, uh, the United States is surrendering control of its exchange rate. And one only has to look at the dollar RMB rate as, as evidence uh, of, of that. Because the dollar is uh, in such demand, it's a safe haven. Think what happened after the 2008 crisis and dollar-euro f- uh, euro, dollar, euro dollar fell from 160 to 123 over the course of a few, mo- of a few months. There was a big inflow of safe haven flows into U.S. Treasuries, and so yields came, came down. In other words, the United States was as- acting as a sort of insurance fund, a shock absorber, 
It was providing the global good of international financial stability. That is the responsibility that is the flip side of the exorbitant privilege. The Fed issued swap lines that at one point came in the fourth quarter of 2008. They amounted to $580 billion. And I know just in passing that South Korea took a swap line from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and not from the People's Bank of China. And of course, over time, the issuer of a reserve currency has to issue debt to meet that demand. Currency doesn't have to start out as a as a deficit country, the United States certainly didn't, nor did West Germany, but over time that is the, that is, is the pattern. Um, here's a thought experiment. Let's imagine all these conditions are, are fulfilled, that, that China gradually, successfully liberalises, that the uh, authorities uh, willingly accept the international responsibilities I've just outlined. Um, even then, I don't think it is obvious that the RMB would quickly evolve into a reserve currency. Uh, as uh, Mr. Bowers mentioned before, the United States overtook Britain as the world's largest uh, country in 1872, but it was only because of two world wars which drained Britain of men and treasure that Sterling lost its dominant position as the world's leading reserve currency. Um, the dollar was well positioned to profit from Britain's misfortunes. Why? Because the Federal Reserve was established in 1913. Why? It wasn't for international reasons primarily. It was because there had been a huge crash in 1907 when J.P. Morgan had to walk out onto the floor of the New York Stock Exchange and calm things. But he was at the head of a small East Coast New York banking establishment that pushed very much for internationalization of the banking sector. And he they did so by passing laws which enabled uh, American ba uh, banks to branch internationally. And that enabled them to break what was hitherto a monopoly on trade finance held by London. So that when the war came and we fell on hard times, then a lot of that business moved to New York and it became a, a natural springboard for the dollar to evolve into a reserve currency. So that happened pretty quickly. Certainly that's Barry Eichengreen's uh, interpretation of, of, of history. But I would, again, wouldn't want to argue with him. Uh, but I would put it in a, in a, in a broad, broader context. I would suggest that they were the final building blocks in the construction of the dollar's reserve status, and they capped a hundred years of effort to establish the credibility and the creditworthiness of the United States. Uh, Alexander Hamilton insisted that the federal government assume responsibility for the debts of the states. In 1812, when we, the Brits, were burning down the White House, uh, the young US federal government insisted that its foreign bondholders be paid on time and went to extreme lengths to ensure that happened. They weren't doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. They were thinking long term. They knew that this would build up their credibility, their creditworthiness in, in, in the financial markets. 
Mr. Bow alluded to this in a way because he acknowledged that a country's cultural and institutional appeal will have a bearing on how investors, on how international investors view that currency, that country. China is an admirable country. I yield to no one in my respect for the economic achievements it's made over the, over the past 30 years. And having lived there for six years myself, I've seen them firsthand. But I would argue that we are not yet at the stage, it's far too early to expect China to be at that stage, of which it has established the unrivaled reputation and credibility that the United States for all its faults, has managed to build up over, the, over what is now the centuries. So that's why I conclude that, yes, I wish there were uh, a new Bretton Woods or that we could finish the unfinished Britain business of Bretton Woods, maybe with a three-legged stool of an international monetary system. I'd have the euro as the second leg because I'm a big fan of the euro. And the RMB as the as the as the third leg alongside the dollar. But I have to say, to repeat, um, I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. I see the RMB continuing to grow. I think trade liberalisation of the RMB as a trade settlement currency has been an enormous success. Uh, but I disagree with anybody who might think that within 10, 20 years' time we will see as much of a 20 or 30% of international foreign exchange reserves denominated in RMB. Thank you very much. Without mention on the internationalization, just think about uh, capital capitalization. What will happen with the AMB's uh, international uh, status? I think more or less the same. So, fundamentally, this is the issue of capital capitalization. And so, I will talk about this uh, 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 a little bit later. 
Firstly, I will introduce you uh, the so-called purpose objective of army industrialization. This is this uh, uh, five points uh, are not my invention. This is more or less official. Number one, reduce exchange rate risk. Second, reduce the in, in, reduce increase in foreign exchange reserves. Third, uh, so increase competitiveness of financial institutions, Chinese financial institutions. Fourth, reduce transaction cost per trade. Uh, fifth, to promote capital communalization. So after three or four years, we look back to check whether so far army internationalization uh, has achieved these five objectives. Number one, if you want to reduce exchange rate risk, you have to use army as invoicing cards, not just seven cards. But so far there's no statistic to show how much army has been used as invoicing cards. We settle a trade with RMB, but we are not necessarily used RMB as emerging funds. As far as I know, in the initial stage, most of uh, settlement using RMB are not emerging RMB. If you, you, you don't use RMB as emerging currency, then you cannot reduce exchange rate risk. This first. The second, reduce the increase in fractional reserves. The result is just opposite. By using, by promoting army industrialization, we end up with more function reserves, more trade reviews, rather than reducing. That's very simple. We earn foreign changes, then we spend foreign changes. Now, we earn foreign changes, we spend army. So, how can we deal with those earned foreign changes? We buy treasuries. So, the result of army industrialization is the increase in funding results. Offset the state purpose. Uh, I think, uh, to the question three, I think more or less yes, but I think the, the greatest benefit actually uh, uh, has been given to Hong Kong, now Taiwan, maybe Singapore. Actually, Shanghai is losing out. Because previously, at least, the transaction is uh, uh, conducted in Shanghai. Now, the market moved Hong Kong to, to Tokyo, and Tokyo to, to Taiwan, and to, to Singapore. So, therefore, uh, from this army industrialization, Shanghai failed. So, this is why we are trying to promote Shanghai as an international, uh, international financial center uh, to, to get back some business. Uh, 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 the fourth one, I think, more or less, yes. The fifth one, this is most important. In the initial stage, nobody mentioned that the purpose of army internationalization is capital capitalization. So in 2010 and 2011, I argued that the true purpose of army internationalization is capital capitalization. Army internationalization is capital capitalization in sales play. This is political. I will not elaborate. So this is my general comments on the achievement of army internationalization. So you can see my position about army internationalization. So let me explain how, uh, why army internationalization, capital capitalization actually has been carried on. You see this top of the line. This is the Great Wall of China. So no 
foreign uh, capital can flow in and flow out freely, right? So by using army internationalization, uh, this this wall uh, is open at least a little bit. Here you can see uh, here, okay, dollar flow into Hong Kong. This is a free market, right? And here, there's an exchange rate market for RMB. This is for CNH. Here, there's an exchange rate market for RMB also, CN1. So for one currency, we have two exchange rate now. As a result of an internationalization of RMB, this only exists in some banana republic. Uh, I think maybe Argentina, maybe Venezuela, they have more than one. But China, one currency to generate. That's quite ridiculous. But I will talk about this later. Anyway, dollar flow in to Hong Kong, okay? But now, actually, we have a roadmap. Not a salary for through, but there's some rough idea. The first step of army internationalization is to allow Chinese companies to use army to do trade settlement. So if you want to buy products from Hong Kong, you can pay RMB to uh, exporters. So RMB flow into Hong Kong. Then, because there's a change rate market, so people in Hong Kong can uh, change RMB into dollar or buy RMB with a dollar, right? And at the same time, we start so-called uh, so recycle mechanism, meaning allow holders of RMB in Hong Kong to invest in mainland China in certain RMB denominated assets. So RMB flow into mainland China. You buy uh, RMB denominated assets. Previously, you want to go this way, right? You are not allowed. But now because we have this RMB internationalization, so Power can buy RMB, then can invest in mainland China. After you have earned profit, then you can sell uh, RMB in Hong Kong, get dollar, and you go. So this is a sort of a capital capitalization in a stealth way, in a small way. If you further uh, liberalize, I think this is a back from Hong Kong. Then I was invited to give a speech to Hong Kongese. I said, uh, guys, please don't persuade Chinese government to fully liberalize uh, capital account. Because if a Chinese government do that, then you'll be in trouble. Because all money will go here. <laughs> no money will go here. You will lose your business. So be careful. You are not clever enough. <laughs> OK. So what's going on now? Now, a people are using our now. So even though uh, in, in, in the world, the share is still very small, um, but actually the speed of increasing in using army a certain currency has been very, very fast. But my view is that, yes, in this day, there could be a very rapid increase. But perhaps to a certain point in time, there will be stagnation. Then perhaps there will retreat, just like Japanese yen. For my Japanese yen, was widely used, but the share of Japanese yen in international trade, in in in, in, uh, in financial trade, and so on, so forth, reduced quite significantly due to change of situation. So this can happen uh, with the uh, army. Why is the problem? Why people now are so eager to use army, especially white people in 
in investment banks and hedge funds, they are very happy with the RMB internationalization. Why so many Chinese companies they are so happy with using RMB internationalization? Because they can do arbitrage. What arbitrage? Interest rate arbitrage and exchange rate arbitrage. You know, here you can see CNH, CNY. Here they are spread. Why they spread? If capital companies fully rise, then you cannot have to exchange rate. Arbitrage will eliminate exchange, uh, uh, exchange rate uh, uh, spread. But because the chance still maintains certain amount capital control, actually quite strict capital control so far. So you can't expect huge cap flow in from to, to, to eliminate this uh, uh, spread. And more importantly, in Hong Kong, CNH is a, it is a currency. Uh, it is exchange rate determined by market. But in mainland China, CMY is under heavy intervention by People's Bank of China. So, for example, in 2011, the money flow out of Hong Kong due to Asian, due to uh, uh, European financial crisis. So, CNH felt very significantly. And because people, People's Bank of China was very conscientiously without the feeling for, for the United States. Uh, otherwise, the United States will accuse China to allow me to devalue. So, People's Bank of China has intervened to prevent the army from falling. So, you can see the spread maintained. So, this happened from time to time. From this chart, uh, you can see this are spread. This are spread. These are spread, so on and so forth. So you make a quite significant spread, so you can do arbitrage. Then, how this arbitrage has been uh, has been doing? Actually, we have lots of cases. I give you one simple case. I hope you can understand how to do arbitrage. You can try this. Okay, this is called one day trip to bonded area. It's very simple. Suppose there's a mainland exporter, right? And these mainland exporters export goods to Hong Kong. And then Hong Kongese will pay, uh, say, one million US dollar to this export, exporter, mainland exporters. Then these mainland exporters will use this one million US dollar to go to CNH, to Shanghai, to change it for RMB. It will, it will get 6.2 million, 600, 600, uh, 600 uh, 20 million US dollars, right? This is a, let me see, let me tell you. Okay, this first step, export. Then uh, this uh, million exporter get one, one million US dollars. Then you go to this uh, CNH, you, you sell this one million US dollars. You got 6.2 million uh, RMB. Right, you use this six two uh, uh six two one six point uh, two a million RMB. Okay, you use this to buy products from this Hong Kong firm. This firm is your affiliate. You you, you sell to them, then you buy this you buy product from this firm. So this is one day trip. Food come from here to here, then from here to here back to 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 to, to China, and then this Hong Kong firm. Because because he he got got six point two uh, uh because you 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 buy this food you pay six point uh six point eighteen million yuan he used this uh, yuan to buy 
one U.S. dollar in Hong Kong because in CNH discipline change rate is cheaper. So what is the net result? Net result, this firm and this affiliate get two million yuan profit. So very simple. One day cheap, you sell and buy back. You 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 buy cheap. You, you buy cheap in Hong Kong. You sell expensive in in, in Beijing. Then you got got money. So you can repeat this, uh, uh, one day trip to Hong Kong air. One day seven times. So you got millions and millions of army profit. So lots of Chinese uh, firms are very active in doing in doing this arbitrage. Uh, I'm not repeating. There are lots of cases. Okay, uh, give you some example about exchange rate arbitrage. This is very popular. This is why recently People's uh, Bank China tried to uh, devalue army to punish those who are engaged in high trade. But here is the spread. Uh, it's uh, uh, interest rate spread between army and uh, US dollars. Okay, here. Okay, this is process. Okay, actually it's not that difficult. <laughs> Firstly, a mainland exporter, okay, uh, deposit something or provide some pressure to a mainland bank, Bank of China. Then this Bank of China will give this import, Chinese importer, letter of credit. Okay, then this importer use this letter of credit by products. The products come from here, there. Then this uh, affiliate use its letter credit for Hong Kong bank, and then the Hong Kong bank uh, HSBC will provide loan to this uh, affiliate of A because you have collateral, right? Then you got this loan, then you buy products, you pay, you buy products. Uh, from mainland uh, importers. Okay, so here, this is a this step. You use this dollar, uh, you pay to mainland exporters. <coughs> so this product comes back to, to Hong Kong. To Hong Kong. Then these mainland exporters use this uh, proceed, because proceed, because you borrow from here, right, for one year. Then, because you got, uh, got Hong Kong dollar or US dollar, you change this in, 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 in mainland China into RMB. You put this into bank for one year. Here, you borrow 1%, even lower. Here, you can go 5%, 7%. If you buy so called wealth match products, you can earn more. So, one year later, the settlement between uh, Bank of China and uh, HSBC. And then settle. But this Chinese firm will get the interest respect. Okay, very handsome, very handsome profit. This is not very difficult. Then there are many other types of uh, 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 trade. I think the investment bank, like hedge funds, are very clever. They can, they can create lots of instruments to do this kind of trade. What is the result? All this activity will end up in, end up with more capital flow into China. Here you see, uh, here People's Bank China. Then you got got dollar, you sell to People's Bank China. Then People's Bank China give you uh, RMB. Then you 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 deposit RMB here. But for People's Bank China, 
they buy U.S. dollar, but they don't do. They buy treasuries. Okay, so all these kind of things means capital flow into China. Means because people start China uh, does not want to see on the other shit, so they buy treasuries. So end up with a uh, more uh, credits. Chinese problem that China's highest living country, right? China's uh, investment is much larger than China's. Uh, sorry, China's uh, saving is much larger, significantly larger than China's investment. Even though China's investment is too high, but still uh, saving is higher. China's capital exporting country. China became a capital export country since uh, 19, uh, 1993. At the time, China's uh, capital income is uh, 400 US dollars. So we start as an export net credit to the world when we have a, a capital income 400 US dollars until now. So we accumulate how much? We accumulate 5 trillion US dollars of foreign assets. Of course, China's capital importing country, we accumulate foreign liabilities, 3 trillion US dollars. So China has 2 trillion net assets against the rest of the world. Then China should have investment income, uh, uh, positive investment income. Investment income surplus, right? I borrow money to you. Of course, I should get the interpayment. But over the past 10 years, almost everywhere, China run investment income deficit. In 2011, 2012, China's investment income deficit each year more than 80 billion US dollars. This is a vast miss our different resources, right? So, what I mean, I mean, internationalization has contributed to China's improvement in uh, resource allocation. I think uh, I cannot say it's very positive. It's very problematic. Of course, there are some benefits for China, but the, the program created by internationalization is also very serious, which related with China's uh, capital capitalization. I think eventually China should liberalize its capital account, but in order to liberalize, you have to do your homework. There are lots of homework you need to do to create a uh, deep and liquid uh, government funds market. You liberalize the exchange rate, you liberalize interest rate, you saw lots of uh, overpowering, lots of uh, reforms. Unless you have completed those reforms, you can't uh, uh, liberalize your capital account in the right. If you can't liberalize your capital account fully, then anti internationalization, you create lots of distortions. China may suffer from this un-internationalization, rather benefit from this internationalization. Thank you. Mm.
No, I thought it was a fun. You gave two. Professor, you gave two fantastic examples of how arbitrage, both on the exchange rate and the interest rate, are distorting capital flows in and out of China, and they were very illuminating and uh, very glad to see them. Thank you. Okay, let's, uh, let's open up questions. Uh, so, first hand up for the second over here. Uh, maybe, for everybody's sake, maybe you should uh, Eric Honigan from MG. Uh, thank you to both of you. I found both of those uh, very illuminating discussions. Um, perhaps to get to the heart of the matter, so I find it compelling that capital account liberalization is really the same issue as reserve currency internationalization. And I, I, I almost thought, for me, the most important thing you said at the very end, which was you went through all of the things you need to have in place before capital capitalization is a full capital account yes, right. is a good idea. Right. And it almost seems to me in the list of one's priorities, capital capitalization comes at the end. You need a good bond market, yeah. you need institutional investment, yeah. you need good securities regulation, yeah. you need good rule of law, you have a good stock market. Liberalization uh, exchange rate, the interest rates also possible. Yeah, so we give us a perfect economy and then you can add on to then we can yeah. do full yeah. capital yeah. capitalization. Actually, this it seems to me relates somewhat to perhaps what Alan was getting at, which is actually if you have full capital account liberalization at the wrong point in time, do you create economic instability? Yeah. Which I, so, so for me personally, I, I, I think the whole role of capital account liberalization in economic development is still uh, very highly debatable and questionable yeah. where it comes from the authority. Yeah. So I'd be very interested to get your thoughts on whether you would compare with that. If I could, just one final other question. How big is the arbitrage? Because if you've described the arbitrage to me, it seems to me it's, it's actually very simple, which is the maybe bit appreciating against the dollar, which means I can borrow in dollars. I should be getting a lower interest rate because if it was a no arbitrage world, right? So the forward rate would be at a discount, but it isn't the case. So you can actually borrow in, in a currency that's depreciating and put on deposit at a higher interest rate. Now, this looks to be a very large phenomenon that's occurring. Yes. What would intrigue me is how much of foreign exchange reserves are related to it, because we may be getting a misleading picture of foreign exchange reserves. They may have actually been falling if you excluded the arbitrage. And also how much of stock market profits have been caused by this, because we see a lot of businesses that are making negative cash flow but reporting very good profits. And what concerns me is it's a huge phenomenon. Yes. Because your point about Hong Kong is absolutely correct. Yeah. Hong Kong, it's a classic Chinese solution. Yeah. We don't want to have capital account liberalization, but we quite like to have a kind of offshore state that does it for us. Yeah. The problem with that is, is that there's huge leakage occurring. Yes. Right. And the magnitude of this could be very, very huge. big. Huge. Now, Taiwan is also on the list. Here, actually, I show this capital count. You see this uh, 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 red bar. This red bar are uh, how many, according to Chinese definition. Of course, it's not precise. Uh, this provides uh, long-term investment, FDI and long-term borrowing and so on. This red is not countable. Mostly, mostly hot money. You see hot money, most hot money flowing in. But in 2012, hot money flowed because it's a, a, a European financial crisis. Uh, a capital flow out of Hong Kong, so CNH fell. So people changed direction of arbitrage. Yeah, okay, so you see, very big. So according to Peace Bank of China, 
this kind of uh, variation account uh, more than 50% of uh, variation of uh, China's uh, capital account, which means it's huge. And also here, you see I can roughly tell this story. From, uh, from the beginning of army internationalization up until uh, later 2012, the most arbitrage is interest rate, uh, sorry, is uh, exchange rate arbitrage by Chinese uh, importers. Import because army is appreciation. So from, from here, from here to here. Then in 2012, mostly capital outflow. So the arbitrage is another way. Chinese exporters, they sell our export <coughs> and buy RMB in mainland China. Here, they sell RMB in Hong Kong and buy RMB in, in mainland China. So this is the, the shift of the direction. Then from here, 2013, the most activity is, uh, is uh, uh, carry trade, is uh, uh, interest rate arbitrage, huge and very large. This is why People's Bank of China try to stop this. How they try to stop this? Actually, I don't have time to explain here. You see, when you are doing the interest rate arbitrage, you have a lot of opportunity of exchange rate change. You have to change change money. Can't see from from US from RMB to US dollar, from US dollar to RMB to from RMB to US dollar. So if you allow this uh, uh, exchange rate more flexible, then this uh, risk will will deter you. Even though you know uh, interest rate spreads very big, become eliminated because of China, Chinese economy cannot lower interest rate to zero. So you must to maintain the interest rate five percent even higher. So in black market maybe twelve percent, right? Very high. We can't do that. So the only way, unless you tighten capital control, is to allow RMB to be more flexible, to create the expectation of devaluation. So by this way, you can somehow stop this. But I think it's not very effective. So this past capital control can somehow stop this. But we have gone so far, perhaps there's no retreat. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Yeah, China's liability consists of mostly FDI. The return of FDI, according to conference board, in 2008, 33%. 33% vis-a-vis less than 3%. And according to World Bank, in 2008, for more than 2,000 multinationals, the average return 22%. And at the same time, those foreign reserves return two percent during during financial crisis is negative. So of course, even though we are net exporter, we, we we have to pay into to, to the rest of the world, and this is not enough. Another problem is that uh, because uh, China's assets are mainly denominated in U.S. dollar, 
kind of liability you in RMB. So whenever this appreciation of RMB uh, against US dollar, our Chinese capital shrink. Uh, so this Chinese investment position worsened. So theoretically speaking, if US Federal Reserve to allow US dollar to devalue fully, then all China's wealth will die. So, so stupid. I think this, I can't understand why we are carrying with this kind of policy. I don't understand. Just, just. Uh, oh, please don't report this. Are they looking to uh, ways to increase return on their. Uh, yes, yes. Then they will waste more. In order to increase as we have, we. Instead of buying cherries, uh, we export, uh, and in that we, we invest in uh, Nigeria, uh, in uh, Liberia, uh, Egypt, so on so forth. So all the money gone, right? <laughs> I, I just wanted to say very quickly, the, it's a mirror image, of course, of what's happening in the United States, which is issuing low interest rate, generally short-term obligations, recycling the capital through the ba uh, banking system, and the likes of General Electric are investing it in very profitable international uh, operations. Um, Hélène Ray and Pierre-Olivier Gorinchas have calculated this going back to 1947, and they reckon that the uh, annual uh, surplus return on U.S. net internal inv uh, external investment is about 2.5 uh, percentage points, so it's substantial. Actually, I agree with you that unless you have a very strong political position, a very strong institution, you cannot protect your investment. Mm. Uh, for example, you want to invest in the United States, in Europe, uh, they will reject, in many, many cases, the best, the, the best partner is UK. You welcome Chinese investment, so we are very grateful. You have a lot of money, okay. But, but uh, Chinese was forced to invest in all those uh, troublesome countries. The trouble is we don't have gunpowder to protect this investment. Not like investing in the British Empire. So those small countries, they, 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 they just seize the, 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 those, those assets. You cannot do anything about it. That's miserable, right? It is very, very terrible. And by the way, I always tell my American friends, China really regards us U.S. good friends. Otherwise, why we should buy so many uh, foreign changes from your country, right? We finance your war against uh, Iraq, Iraq, and uh, Afghanistan. How, how much they spend? Two trillion? One, one trillion or something. So we finance that war. You give everything, so like Chinese one said, we owe a bank for this order. For order, for this order. You are the mercy bank. The bank, you owe bank four million. So banks are your mercy, right? So U.S. sometimes exaggerate the Chinese threat. That's totally wrong. Uh, and this is totally asymmetrical. We can't stretch you. So you, you seize everything. So what can we do? Nothing, right? OK, I think that there are lots of questions out here. So the, 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 the Yes. Yeah. Uh, my name is Stephanie Jones. Um, I also, like the first question, wanted to agree with, with your Ming's approach on um, the benefits of very slow capital account liberalization. 
not just from the Chinese perspective, but I think from the global perspective. You know, because I think stability and, and sustainable growth in China has been a, like a global public good for us. What we had with Asian financial crisis, the US and Europe were very happy with China providing uh, stability in the region. And when we had the global financial crisis, I understand that in the worst uh, moment of the Eurozone crisis, Merkel didn't call Obama, but she called your premier, the Chinese premier, because they were the ones who could provide funding and stability. So I think it's very important that this, this process uh, continues in a very gradual way, both across China, also globally. I mean, here it's worked well. The late growth on yes. the yes. Yeah. Why this rush to liberalize the capital accounts? All international women, because if there are such risks attached, as we've seen in Latin America, as we've seen in Indonesia, as we've seen everywhere. So I think that that case, and people like Ron McKinnon, who used to argue for very strong capital foundation, has made exactly the point that you don't yeah. make. Last week we just communicated with each other. He said we are on the same page. Exactly. <laughs> My, my, my second question, I may very quickly, is you argue, I think very rightly, that, that the export capital is premature in China. So what, what would be the policy option? Actually, we already have this option 10 years ago uh, to reduce our dependence on uh, trade, uh, I mean, uh, 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 trade surplus. This, this is wrong. We, we need to, to engage in trade. This is for resource allocation. But uh, the aim should not be accumulating for trade reserves. So 10 years ago, I said yes, China should throw all its export into the sea and build a bank and print money to, 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 to those exporters. That's all. Okay. Uh, so this is the policy. The, the trouble is that because we are very slow, uh, in 2003, we first raised this issue. At the time, the people's bank, uh, Chinese, bank, uh, the Chinese government worried that because we have a, a relatively large export uh, sector. And there are, uh, say, uh, three, uh, 30 million or 40 million people employed. So they said we should still, uh, we should uh, stay put and so on, don't change. So after 10 years, this, uh, uh, this institution, even bigger, uh, 200 million uh, workers working for this sector. And the share of uh, this uh, sector become very, very large in, in, in China's GDP. So the reform just become even more difficult. So you have to, to make a decision. We already said that the more you postpone, the more difficult you, you make adjustment. But we already postponed for 10 years. Now the situation now is much, much difficult than 10 years ago. So what can we do? Really, it's very hard for uh, political leaders. Uh, I'm very lucky I'm an economist, not a politician. Right. I think we have a question in the fourth row. Yes, you, the gentleman, the gentleman. Right. Uh, my name is Yi from the LSE. Um, so I just want to ask you a question. And I want to pick up on some very nice green articles in the project. So you picked up that. And it was saying that the end of the, the period of trade services is gone. You have perfect rapid changes and, re- and maybe shale gas. You know, the US will stop running such a large current account deficit. Maybe China, through developing internal uh, consumption, will stop running to the surface. So I guess my question is, is 
internationalization or not of RMB actually is going to be an issue if China returns to some you know, neutral level of capital export and, and America is important? Because the biggest problem in all of these diagrams that we've drawn seems to be no matter what happens, the PBOC accumulates all your treasuries and, and then they're in a sort of damage you do, damage you don't situation. If they uh, devalue, if they appreciate the RMB against your treasuries, they'll go up to their own holdings and whatever. But if, if things would just fix itself up. Uh, yes, uh, this is an important problem. And actually, uh, I think uh, China has been uh, achieving uh, some uh, result in making this uh, adjustment. So China's uh, trade surplus uh, is uh, reducing, uh, generally speaking. Okay, and uh, China's uh, uh, capital outflow uh, is increasing very rapidly. So China's <coughs> surplus uh, have been uh, reduced uh, and quite significantly. So if uh, really China can run a basically balanced international uh, balance payment, then perhaps uh, RMB appreciate the, uh, the expectation will come. Then uh, uh, exchange rate will fluctuate uh, ups and downs. So the risk factor will deter these uh, carry trade uh, activities. I think uh, uh, we are moving toward that direction, but we have paid too much cost. And uh, the way of achieving this result really is not optimal. Good. I think uh, the federal uh, when China messes around with the exchange rate last month, the price of coffee dropped like a stone. So I don't think you're right to say um, it's not doing enough. Um, my main question is to, to what extent you would agree that even though you were... Sorry, the price of what dropped like a stone? Copper. 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 Right. Yeah. It's a, the commodity of choice. Yeah. So you're right. right. Um, even, even if it was a price capital flows, um, to what extent do you agree that it's not going to become an international currency until foreign nationals are happy to hold RMB as uh, deposits? And the reason I say this is the only trade settled in RMB is uh, trade from uh, Chinese branches and subsidiaries in developing markets. And the only people who invest in RMB are Chinese SOEs. And the main overwhelming factor, in, in my opinion, um, is the rule of law, transparency, mm -hmm. and those factors. And until foreign nationals will hold RMB in deposits, mm -hmm. it will not become a genuine mm -hmm. uh, uh, Yes, and uh, in, I mean, uh, I just talk about those uh, small things about RMB uh, internationalization. The big thing is not what I just said. Big things related to that, many other much bigger uh, issues. For example, on the green bank, in God we trust, right? So people see this red bank, say, thank God we can earn huge money. So based on this kind of psychology, how can they hold the as a store of value? <laughs> just, just one quick uh, interjection. Uh, and Professor Yu will correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. As, as in most countries, there is a tremendous home bias among Chinese uh, savers. And yes, let's imagine that if there were capital account liberalization, some money would flow abroad. But I would point out that uh, the Q fee quota, which has been in existence for six or seven years yeah, now, yeah. has never been fully utilized. And there's complete confidence 
in Chinese banks, no matter what we from the outside think, because the people know quite well that even in the absence of a deposit insurance scheme, that the last thing that the party would do is, is let the banks um, let the banks fail. Yeah. It sounds like one, one, one possible solution is to, is to partially dollarize China. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> or, or Renmin buys, Renmin buys uh, the United States. Just, just embrace it, like, like South Africa, like, like, sorry, like Turkey, like lots of countries. The China is... Lots of, uh, like lots of original countries. You just have, your banks have... Uh, you, no, no. China is a big country. China needs a dependent, independent monetary policy. So definitely China will not allow that to happen. Hong Kong can do that. China will not. Definitely not. Never. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Actually, uh, Vietnam and uh, Cambodia, they are reducing the dollarization. So that's not a solution. It's not always easy to reduce the dollarization. It's not always easy to stop it. Uh, uh, I can't see any respect of, of that in China. I don't think there's that much dollarization in China. It should let it happen, embrace it. No, no. If you're willing, because if the PBOC has got all these dollar assets, yes. it's got these RMB liabilities, then it should build up some dollar liabilities. Uh, <laughs> that would be a solution. Uh, I mean, in, in, when I, uh, we are talking about internationalization, I'm for issue by foreign borrower. You borrow from China, but uh, denominated in RMB is okay, right? So we have enough uh, treasuries and so on. We have enough liquidity dollars, and uh, we want to lend dollars to you. So the, tra- the, the thing is that whether you want to borrow and denominate, denominated in RMB, you don't want because RMB is appreciated, right? But uh, if you give some extra incentive, you may want to help. So that should be the direction. China should reduce uh, dollar-denominated assets, right? Increase RMB-denominated assets. Reduce RMB-denominated liability. Increase RMB-denominated uh, uh, asset. Uh, 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 sorry, increase dollar-denominated liabilities. Increase dollar. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's dollarization. <laughs> Instead, sorry, foreign investors will invest in the Yes, so yes, this is a problem for us because uh, uh, interest rate is not uh, very natural. There are lots of misalignment, so it may lead to misallocation of resources. The dollar get into uh, uh, China, then change into RMB, invest in the real estate development, and so on. This is more like. Uh, yes, yes. So if we achieve the equipment, then we can open further. So that protect the 
to a very limited extent. Uh, so far, we have run into the corner. A lot of people in Hong Kong argue that without further liberalization, then army will not, you, you, you will not be able to go further. I agree with this. But do you have, like, for example, now, like, a pipeline from... No. That, 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 I mean, the scope for army internationalization will be small. Even army, even capital count is fully liberalized. There's still a long, long, long way to go for army to be internationalized. These are two different things, even though at this stage, they are closely connected. That's impossible. Uh, in, not possible. Not possible. You cannot separate these two. I must say, this is, looks very dangerous to me. Because you mentioned it very briefly as an aside that the arbitrage of borrowing these orders and getting higher interest rates yeah. in, a, in an appreciating currency is also going into wealth management products. Yeah. The problem here is if we think of the problems of the earlier discussions, if you get defaults for the wealth management products and the arbitrageur is levered, mm-hmm. yeah. what's going to happen is you simultaneously, when defaults picked up, you get a run on the renminbi <coughs> because my assets yes, aren't what I thought they were and I'm levered. I close those positions. And the other problem is that everybody's betting on an appreciating currency. Yeah. Big shock fall in foreign exchange reserves, and you like to get a collective okay. run. I mean, I'm, personally, it, it looks to me like a one-way bet that there may be going to be value from here, because the point is the authorities are saying we can't allow it to keep appreciating, mm-hmm. or people will arm it. Mm-hmm. So this is very fragile, because what's happened here now is a coal company defaults, mm-hmm. I'm going to get a run on the Remindy mm-hmm. through leverage participants, and suddenly the profits start disappearing. There's a, there's a lot of interconnectedness here that's very concerning. Yes, I think there are lots of problems that we need to study further. And uh, the coffee, yes, is uh, a big example. And uh, actually, I prepared something about the uh, use of the cup of water to do arbitrage. This is, uh, uh, produ- I mean, uh, I think government staff produce a very good paper. It's lots of complicated instruments. Yes, uh, so then, uh, then, of course, I'm a defender of China interests, right? But uh, then I'm talking with uh, uh, short-term investors. Then I think there's still opportunity for them to get something. But uh, from the longer run, I think it's quite dangerous, very dangerous. And they may, they, they, they may lose their last shot. <laughs> yeah. I think we have time for one last question. Did you want to take it? Um, yeah, thanks very much. Uh, well, I was, I was like first to start with a remark and then uh, I have a question to Alan about uh, shouldn't we separate, uh, when we talk about uh, FX reserves, shouldn't we separate the fact that a currency can be a safe haven and uh, play its role as uh, store value um, relative to the fact that Samsung banks do not have any other choice than to accumulate some currencies just because they are trading, just because it's the currency of their military parties. The point I want to make is if you look at Denmark, Switzerland, or they accumulated a lot of euro in 2011, but it wasn't because of the, because the euro was considered at that time a safe currency. It was probably, there was, it was a time when we were, already was afraid of a euro breakup. And a quick question to Yu Yongbin. When do you think that uh, Yuan will be fully convertible? Mm. 
So that would be why, for example, the Reserve Bank of Australia has put 5% of its reserves into, uh, in, into the RMB, why Nigeria and other countries are. Yeah, the reason why the RMB might become more important than yeah. before. Let me just throw this out as, as a thought. Uh, somebody mentioned uh, shale gas before. As, a, as the United States becomes more self-sufficient and even less energy flows from the Middle East to the West and more and more of it goes to China and India. It would make perfect sense to me if China were to turn around to Saudi Arabia or Iraq or doing this with Iran and say, right, we might still be denominating this trade in, 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 in dollars, and so therefore you still have the exchange rate risk, but let's settle it at least in, in, in RMB. All I would say is at that point, the RMB is accumulating outside China's borders and those holders of RMB still need somewhere to, to, to invest it. And that's why, in, in China, exactly. And, and it seems to me is that the channels which are open now are, are not are not widely. Yes, yeah, so this is a limited because uh, China's financial institution is very fragile. There's a lot of financial vulnerability. So, Chinese, actually, recently, uh, Governor Joe has uh, made a statement. Uh, it sounds much more cautious about army, uh, about capital mobilization. He said we should strengthen the control of the shorten cost of capital control. So then I asked uh, people from the uh, Bank and then where are our differences? Uh, <laughs> so I think it's very good and they are adjusting their policy. And also you should take notice in all formal uh, documents by the party, by the government, no mention of RMB in the enterprise. They should uphold. No, you can check it. Okay, I think on that note, I start to agree with Yes, my lifetime. My lifetime. <laughs> yes, but uh, I, I have a cancer, so. <laughs> All right, thanks very much to both of our speakers for an excellent session. And, uh, see you